It's good to bring the Word today, and it's good to be here. This morning we're going to continue going through the book of Luke. We're going to be looking at the life and way of Jesus and what it means for us as disciples as we grow in His love, as we grow in His peace, and we rest in His restorative hope. And today I kind of feel like a kid at Christmas, you know, when there's lots of presents around. You're not worried about any cards or who it's from. You just want to rip it open and get right into it. So I think we should just go right to the text here because we are coming across Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. Now it is strikingly different from Matthew's gospel, but it is in essence still the same. See, Luke does not include all of the Beatitudes, and the text is in your bulletin right there in front of you. He's really including blessings, and he's shortening them, leaving out some ones that Matthew mentions, but he also accompanies each blessing with a woe. And blessing is that translation we get for the Greek word makarios, but we landed on the word of blessing because we're trying to combine this idea and feeling of being happy with the accompaniment of God's favor, his divine acceptance. So we call that blessed. And woe in this, clay, in this case is meaning things that cause us sorrow or distress or trouble. And up to this point in the gospel, we have heard that the people have been amazed at Jesus' words. We've learned that Jesus' words have authority, right? Authority to accomplish, authority to forgive sins, and all of the people have been flocking to him because of the deeds that he is doing, the miracles of healing and the casting out of demons. And throughout all of this, we have heard Jesus say this phrase, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And while none of the Gospels give us an exact definition on what the kingdom of God means, we can interpret that it is very clear that the kingdom is wherever the words and deeds of Jesus are. Really, the kingdom has now come in Jesus. And where Jesus is, the kingdom is. And even today, that kingdom remains because his words and his deeds are practiced. Because he has conquered death, sin, and the devil. And we have seen that the division that this proclamation brings, this announcing of the kingdom of God, of Jesus, his words and his deeds, there really is no middle ground at this point. We saw the people in Nazareth, they wanted to stone him. We saw the people in Capernaum, they wanted him to stay. And it's clear to see why the people would want Jesus to stay around because of what he was doing. Sometimes it's a little less clear of why the people would want to kill him just because of words that he said. Well, there's the basic principle that he's going around telling people he's God and that makes them angry so they want to kill him. That seems a bit extreme, but I get that. But there is something else. Jesus' teachings, Jesus' words, challenge. They challenge us and force us to participate in these words. They challenge us to look at ourselves and to recognize our brokenness, our pride, and our sin. They challenge us to rethink the way that we're living, to let go of all of our preconceived notions, and to now seek something else instead. Challenging us not to buy into the system of the world, the the dog-eat-dog mentality, the me first looking out for number one, and this idea that my worth is in what I own or what I have done. And this is a problem. It's a problem for a way of life that says our race is the best and all other races are below us. 
It's problematic for a way of life that puts rules and concepts and allows us to look at our neighbors as objects instead of people. Objects that we can abuse or use or manipulate. And his words create a problem for us when we say, I clearly am a better person than the rest because look at all that I have done and everything that I have accomplished. I know that I am blessed by God because of all of this stuff. It's proof. I can see it. I can touch it. I know it must be true. God certainly loves me. But when I look at your life, well, I'm not so sure. And these are words that are challenging indeed as we will look at them together. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and all the people tried to touch him because power, power was coming from him and healing them all. Jesus had just chosen his 12 apostles, and here he is now. And I can only imagine what the apostles and the people must be feeling but especially the apostles, right? I mean, they were just chosen. There is no subtlety in him picking 12. The 12 that were chosen know exactly what that means. It comes with all of the promises of the 12 tribes in Israel. They are significant now. They are going to rule. They are going to be in charge. And I can only imagine those apostles looking at Jesus and thinking, man, that's pretty soon. That's going to be me. I'm going to be next. I'm going to follow in his footsteps, and I'm going to do what he is doing. I mean, look at that power that is flowing from him. I wonder what that looked like. I wonder if it was electricity, or if it was vibrations, or if it was just like bubbles or something I don't even know about, just coming out of him, that people are like, what is that? And they're just rushing to touch him. They're crowding around him, pressing against him. And I wonder if the disciples are like trying to do that thing where you keep people away from Jesus or they're just getting like mobbed and they're like getting pushed up against him. It was like that scene in the Super Bowl, which I know nobody liked it because there wasn't a lot of touchdowns. But at the end of the game, I mean, like those dudes couldn't even like get excited because there were 50,000 people trying to snap their pictures. That's got to be how it was. And in the midst of that, there's this looking at his disciples looking at his disciples, at the 12, not the crowds, not the people, but at his disciples. He looks at them, makes eye contact with them, gains their attention, gains their focus, and gives them a message in all of this madness and busyness and craziness. And it is a message for us too, who are his disciples. It is a message that stops us, that cuts us to the core. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Meaning it's time to look at the people around you differently. How are you judging them? By what they have? By what they've accomplished? By their worldly status? In this blessing, there is no pride. In this blessing, you must be completely dependent on Jesus. And if you want this kingdom of God, you must realize that you bring nothing to it. That we are all beggars. That we are all poor. But in this blessing, we can take heart. 
Because the Father is pleased to give us the kingdom on account of Jesus. This is saying that the Father's favor rests even on those whom the world looks down upon. And God's acceptance goes beyond your material possessions and your status. For now your favor and your blessing will come from Jesus. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. This is a warning. It is not saying that the rich don't receive the blessing of Jesus or the acceptance of the Father. You do not need to be poor in order to be loved by God. This warning says that we need to prioritize our lives differently. That we need to see through the fabrications that we live in. If your comfort is in your possessions, in your plan, in your ability to control, then what need do you have for God? If you care only about getting more rather than receiving what only the Lord can give, then woe to you. Look out. Because that will only lead to distress and sorrow. That will only create a false sense of comfort. So it's no wonder that he calls us to love and to serve our neighbor, to give away cheerfully what is ours. The comforts of the world steal our heart and mess with our minds. They can take us away from God and move us inwards towards ourselves. And sometimes we have to let go to hold on. We have to let go of what we think gives us that feeling of hashtag blessed, of happiness, and instead hold on to him alone. So it's time I start, I start spotlighting my relationship with the Lord over what I'm doing at work. It's time I start spotlighting my relationship with my wife regarding our faith together over whether she and I are always happy. It's time I start spotlighting my child's spiritual growth over whether they're getting straight A's or is the star of the show. And it's time I start spotlighting my neighbor's needs and getting to know them over my perfection of the casual wave and timing it so we don't have to talk. It's time to become poor in spirit. For the poor only have God. And I want to only have God. Meaning I want to want him more than anything else. To seek him first. To let nothing get in the way of me following him. Blessed are you who hunger now for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. This means that we look at our suffering and at our needs differently. This blessing will not remove our suffering or our needs, but it does take away their power. And it's time to stop trying to check out and to self-medicate and do whatever it is that we can do to not have to feel or not have to deal with the conflict and the issues that are plaguing our life. It's time to get on our knees and crawl towards the light rather than just becoming accustomed to the darkness. For the difficult times will come. Kind of feels like they're always there. But it's in this blessing 
in this blessing, we can go to the Father. In this blessing, we can pray. We can lay it all down because we are not alone in our suffering. Hebrews 4 says, Now that we know that we have Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a Jesus who is out of touch with our reality, unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. We are not alone. We have Jesus, but we also, so many times in the, in the epistles, we're called to bear with one another, to forgive, to love, to be there for each other, to be the body of Christ. We also have each other. So we can take heart. We can gather together because none of us stood up during the confession and said, I have no sin. I have no pain. I've done nothing wrong. We all confess and we all receive. Troy, Gabriella, and the entire East High Wildcats were right. We're all in this together. There is one baptism, one cup, one bread, one faith, one church, one God. The world will do its worst to rage against you. But our Lord has overcome the world, and he will wipe away the tears of our eyes. He will conquer our sins and give us the victory. Now shout amen. Amen. Woe to you who are well-fed now. For you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. A warning. It is not saying that none of us should eat and that we should be somber and sad to earn God's approval, his blessing. Go get a donut after church. You do not need to eat. You do not need to not laugh to be loved by God. This warning says it's time to prioritize your life differently. If you care more about having a good time and making sure that life is easy and doing whatever it takes to be comfortable, woe to you. Look out, because that will only lead to sorrow and a false sense of joy. Sometimes we have to let go to hold on. We have to let go of seeking a life of pleasure and hold on instead to his righteousness, to choose to gather together weekly, to choose to be in his word, to choose to love. No more sideline faith, no more thinking, well, you know what, the time's not right for me to get involved. It's time to start participating and choosing to live in this kingdom life, to choose to do what he did, to feed those who had nothing, to comfort those who were mourning, to be present with them and mourn with them. And in that mourning, Point them to the hope that we have, to the promise we have of resurrection, of new life, of peace in the sorrow. And finally, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that's how their ancestors treated the prophets. If you are to be his disciple, you will experience harassment, exclusion, and opposition. And when you seek his face, and when you seek the Lord's approval, which you have in Jesus, you are now free from needing the approval of others. That doesn't mean you're no longer accountable to people. We're all accountable to each other, to the ones we love and to the ones who love us. But now the final say belongs to the Father. Spoiler alert, 
when you are seeking his approval, or rather seeking his will, our relationships with others strengthen and improve. How powerful it is when we pray with one another. Hearts change when you pray and serve your enemy. Hearts change when we pray and serve the ones we love too. Because that's how it's supposed to be. To be able to ask for each other's forgiveness, to seek less about being right and instead seek being kind, gentle, and patient. Seeking to do the will of the Father. Seeking and serving our neighbor. To speak to them. If we do not tell our neighbor, who will? And if you fail, so do I. And that's okay. We simply speak to the hope we have. And we trust the Holy Spirit to bring others to faith. We simply bring the love and speak the faith. And so woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that's how your ancestors treated the false prophets. This is a warning. It is not saying that none of us should speak well of each other. Or if somebody says something nice to you, you need to stop them like they're jinxing you. Someone says something nice, say thank you. Speak well of your neighbor. Speak well of your coworker. Speak well of your spouse. Be a person of encouragement. This warning says we need to prioritize our lives differently. If you care more about what others are saying about you, whether they approve of you or like you, whether they'll look at your status and be peanut butter and jealous, then look out. Don't say the things that you think you want people to hear, but rather speak to them the truth and love. What that looks like is being honest with people and gentle. With being okay to disagree and still being there. Being confident in what you believe, being confident in what the Bible says is right and wrong, but at the same time, not judging or isolating people just because they think or live or believe differently. This is an important change we need to be for modern disciples. To be able to be in relationship with people, even if their lifestyle or point of view is different than our own. To love not so that they'll like you or so that we're politically correct, but to love because it is our calling. To love without expecting anything in return. And the key to all of it, the key to all of it goes back to verse 20. Looking at his disciples. Jesus looking at you and we keeping our eyes on Jesus. Do not take our eyes off Jesus. Do not be distracted by the power or the fame or whatever. Keep your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, for we are nothing without him. We are nothing without the life and the way of Jesus, the eternal life given to us, won by the way of the cross, sealed in our baptism, ours forever and ever. Amen. This, this is not something that we do on our own. We need the help of the Father. And so we go to him in prayer to ask him to give us what we need.